knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeps. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heese, and we are here to become better habitat managers together. We're here to learn, guys. This podcast is all free information for people who want to have better hunting, better habitat, and get more skilled in the habitat management arena, if you will. Um, we have a great episode here for you today. We have Kevin Thayer from Illinois. Now, we're going to get into some stuff we don't normally talk about, which is pretty awesome, pretty intriguing. Um, we'll talk a lot about row crop planting for food plots. So your beans, your corns, your your uh, your corns, your corn, your uh, brassicas, using a planter, homemade planter that Kevin made, by the way. Um, pretty awesome for his tractor. He made it. We also talk a lot about the advantages of that and how it works for him. His homemade golf cart rig that he uses to spray and, and broadcast seed. Pretty awesome stuff. Um, and then also, you know, propagating, collecting, planting, gathering of nuts and mast tree seeds. Kevin does a lot of acorn planting and um, crab apple, apple seed planting at his house. Starts it, you know, in the fall, grows them over the winter and plants them on the property, you know, come the spring. So I've seen a lot of his pictures on Facebook and whatnot, and he's got like a greenhouse in his kitchen. It's awesome. Um, very intriguing, caught my attention. I wanted to get him on here. We had a great conversation. Just, you know, guy seems like an awesome, down-to-earth guy, my kind of people. And uh, it's a information-packed and, you know, tip, I'll call it pro tips, pro tip fact, um, you know, packed episode here. It's, it's great. So Kevin Thayer from Illinois coming in next. We talk about... All that good stuff I just mentioned and just have a great conversation. And it's kind of uh, relatable now because right now, you know, we're all thinking about our trees for, for next spring. We talk about a lot of different acorns. We talk about one specifically that is a an English hybrid with a burr oak. So I asked about those specifically because we sell those trees through Morse Nursery. And at Morse right now, a lot of people are, are getting their orders in. They're sending them through me to get quoted up on. Um, all you have to do is email me at info at habitatpodcast.com. I can get you some special pricing on Morse trees. 
And people, we're all getting our, our orders in now because, well, inventory runs out. And like I've said many times before on this podcast, a lot of people think you don't have to order till spring when you want to plant them, but the the truth of the matter is everybody normally orders their wildlife and habitat trees now for a spring delivery. That way you're getting your order in, you're getting your inventory, and then you just wait patiently for, for them to ship come, you know, March, April, in that time frame. So thank you to everybody who's reached out, who's putting their orders in through our, our Morse dealer here through the podcast. Um, we're, we're providing some great feedback, some service, some great information, any questions you might have, we take care of all that for you. So feel free, reach out if you're interested in getting your tree order together through Morse. And um, again, info at habitatpodcast.com. Now, there's one thing we haven't talked about in a while as well, and that is Nick Nation over at the Habitat Hook. So, Nick is back on board with the podcast, um, partnering up through uh, next year, and he has some new information, some new products. So, he sent me some stuff here. There's a new aluminum hook model that is just released. It actually has three attachments. So, never before could you take the top of the habitat hook off and put something else on. Now you can. Um, one is the original hook. Another is a smaller hook. It's a full one-pound lighter. And then also there's one, like a steer and a push point. So, like, you can steer and push trees and branches. I do more pushing than I do pulling with the habitat hook. And that seems to be, I don't know, safer. I'm pushing the tree away from me. Um, you just feel better. I get more, more, you know, oomph behind it when you're pushing. So I use that. So And then there's the last attachment is a silky saw blade. So those of you who run the silky hand saw blades, Nick has now gotten and made an attachment to attach a silky blade to the, the aluminum habitat hook. So now you have an extremely light, tough, durable tree saw that is sharp as heck. So I think these are awesome innovations from a product that's been out for a long time and is a staple in everybody's habitat work. I've had mine for years. All my buddies have them. Um, everybody I know who does serious tree work in the wintertime and the springtime uses a habitat hook because once you use one, you'll wonder how you ever did it without one in terms of hinge cutting, uh, TSI work, directing trees in a way where you want them to fall versus you know letting, letting them fall how they want. Um, all these items are available at HabitatHook.com. So, guys, we'll have more information from Nick coming up soon. Again, HabitatHook.com. There is a podcast discount to HP10. So, HP10, you get 10% off all Habitat Hook items at HabitatHook.com. All right, I want to thank everybody one last time for leaving us great reviews on, on iTunes and Google and wherever you leave them. My wife has been so gracious to help me find and send out these free 5-inch Habitat podcast decals to those who leave us good reviews. Um, do me a favor. If you're leaving a good review, put your full name on there or your name and address or your email address or something where we can find you and copy you. iTunes does this weird stuff where it grabs some weird username and sometimes we don't know who the person is. But a lot of you have been leaving your name and, and number or name and address and then we just send you the decal. Um, if not, we'll try to find you on Facebook or somewhere and reach out. But if you leave us a great review in the link below the show notes right now, it'll say leave a review. We will send you a free five inch habitat podcast decal. Thank you so much for everyone who does that and helps support the habitat podcast. 
Now, let's get to it with uh, Kevin Thayer here. I want to thank Packer Max, Call to Packers, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, Morse Nursery, Afflictor Broadheads, and Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction. Guys, let's talk food plots and habitat trees with Kevin Thayer from Illinois. All right, guys, we're back. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have a very special guest here today, Mr. Kevin Thayer. How you doing, Kevin? Very good. Very good. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes, it's Thayer, T-H-A-Y-E-R. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thanks for hopping on here today. And, uh, you know, I've been I've been kind of scoping you out on Facebook for a while. We've been friends on there for a while. We never met each other, but... I'm always intrigued by all the pictures and, and habitat things that you're up to. Um, I don't know why they catch my eye, and I just I got to talk to this guy. He seems like a habitat guru. Yeah, I, I just – there's ways of doing everything a little bit easier, and that's why I always try to do – I'll tweak stuff. You know, living on my own farm, I, uh, I get to tweak a lot of stuff, and I'll do lots of uh, trial and error plots and stuff like that so a little tweaking here and there awesome and, uh, so. it sounds like you have a lot of things uh tweaks to to perfection based on some of the food plots i see and the trees i see i mean it's uh it's pretty neat so i'm, I'm glad you took the time to hop on here so thank you yes there's always there's always something you can do better and that's what i've tried to do is you know through the years build planners or change planters or uh, build row crop cultivators so I can do my uh, brassicas in between the rows. Awesome. Um, stuff like that. Build my own sprayers. Everything I've got, I've built myself. The the planter was kind of a, I used to have a six row planter I shared with the doctor and did food plots with him um, by my place. And it got to be a hassle sharing a planter. And, um, uh, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to build my own. And I literally built the uh, the the bar while it was on my tractor. <laughs> I was like, you know what, I'm just going to set it up on my tractor and build from there. And I'm lucky I got a Amish community down the road from me. So I would go to the auctions and uh, buy row units and the parts I needed and uh, stuff like that. So and just you know, it was over time, build stuff and tweak stuff and uh, built my sprayer to match my row unit and built my, um, actually, it's kind of funny. I worked with the Groundhog Max guys and to build the, the cultivator I had that goes in between my, where my uh, tire tracks are. And they gave me all the parts, gave me the Groundhog Max Plus and everything and he told me, just don't show any pictures of it because we're going to build something just like that. And then I'd never heard back from him, and uh, I don't know if Groundhog Max still exists, but uh, they gave me some parts. Nice. And, uh, very nice guys. The guys gave me some ideas and changed the disc around and stuff like that. I've, you know, I've collected knowledge through the years. I was pretty much raised on a farm, so. Okay. Um, let's, let's hear about that. Let's get into your your yeah. background, you know? Let's hear about who you are and where you're from and the history of how you kind of got into this stuff. 
So uh, Kevin's there, and I'm from Clinton, Illinois, my hometown. Born and raised there. Um, it's dead center of Bloomington, Decatur, Champaign, Springfield, and uh, home of a nuclear power plant. Ah. So um, my farm is real close to the nuclear power plant, so it, I, I've got some good public ground around me, but that's what makes my ground so good is when the public guys start pressuring it hard, the deer evacuate, and I've uh, I've got I I want to say ninety percent of my place is a refuge. Wow! You know, I only hunt very little, and very very hunt very few days. If the wind's not right, I'm not going. Yeah. Um, I learned a lesson a long time ago about pushing deer, and they just won't tolerate it. Um, so I I um for years I wish I had these years back. Everybody told me you had to get rid of the invasives and honeysuckle, and I know it's a touchy subject, but sure. I spent like six years getting rid of invasives, and I tore my Achilles. And uh, so the next year I couldn't get rid of the invasives. It was just back to where it was, square oh, no. one. And uh, the one thing I noticed was when I got rid of all the invasives, the honeysuckle was my main thing. And uh, when I got rid of it, the deer just disappeared. They were gone. They were at the neighbors or wherever. And I was like, oh, man, you know. So I I kind of quit doing that, and I was like, man, I wasted a lot of time doing that. And uh, I was like, you know, at what point is it an invasive, and what point does it become, you know, naturalized? I mean, because it's everywhere now. Right. I mean, everybody hates it, but I was like, you know, it's – I guess it's the leading – plant right now um but my focus really is you know those areas i leave alone and very rarely hunt in a timber i'm at the edges parameters uh pathways to my food plots and uh, my place is really really unique Uh, it's a big wedge so it's three quarters mile deep and then uh probably about a half mile at the back, and then there's a big pie shape. Or, uh, so it's really unique. And I was like, up front, there's a few houses close to me. There's a cemetery. Good neighbors there. Um, <laughs> the best neighbors. Um, there's a railroad, old abandoned railroad, railroad right way in between me and the neighbors that do hunt. So I've got a buffer. Um, between them and me, and I, I used to hunt all this stuff. I used to go in the timber and everything. I was like, man, I just don't see the deer, or you know, you see deer for a couple of weeks and they're gone. I started laying off of it and getting back and doing some. Uh, I did switch grass up front and um, different things. I was like, oh, I, you know, I don't have to hunt the timber. I can hunt those edges and do a lot better. And uh, I think it was. 98, I shot my first Boone and Crockett. Wow. And uh, that was a deer. That was the first deer I passed the year before. And I think he he grossed 179, so he netted like 170, 170 around there. Wow. And I was like, oh, man. And I realized, you know, it was like a aha moment. I was like, I can pass deer, and they're going to survive. 
I never knew that before because, you know, I hunted Illinois, little little uh, tree lots and little patches of ground. And I was like, and then I realized, you know, the more you stay out of it, the better you are. And now, well, actually, the last year I shot was 2018. Um, I had the T certified. It was a eight-and-a-half-year-old buck. Wow. That same year, I did a youth hunt. And uh, Hunter Elements was the boy's name. And uh, he shot a big 10-point that I'd passed with Bo that year. And when we got the teeth back from it, it was eight-and-a-half-year-old, too. So I was like, you know, how many farms can you see that kind of age? And I was like, it's all about staying out of the ground and not not pushing them and, and running them and hunting yeah. the right wind. And, um, yeah, you've got to think if you're that age, you know, it's not going to hang around long if you're walking all around his bedroom. Oh, right. And I realize they have smaller, smaller uh, ranges when they get older. But that same year, I also had a deer that had been around forever. I had video of him and film of him. So I, and he had a bullet hole in his ear. So I knew the deer, and I also had three-legged deer that would come up into the yard, and I think they were all about that same age. So I'm, I'm kind of like a retirement community for deer, I think. <laughs> and, but... It kept getting better and better and better. The more I stayed off, the more I um, stayed away from my property, I actually got better. Not, You know, I would do my food plots, and I'd do – I rarely hunted mornings. And that was actually a tip from Don Higgins like 25 years ago. He said, quit hunting your October mornings. And it's kind of funny because I had junk trail cameras back then, and – Instead of setting him up in my timber and stuff, I set him up on my path in. And it was exactly what Don said was happening. He says, you're walking in, those bucks are coming from big ag, and they're hitting your trail, and they're going this way, and you're going that way. And that's exactly what I did. And uh, I even went farther. I, I got pictures of a buddy, uh, Steve Pairing, big hunter and Clinton, friend of mine. And... Uh, I tore my Achilles, other Achilles. Jeez. So I was laid up, and I was like, you know, I had a couple of bully bucks I one shot. And uh, so he came out, and he would park his truck right by my house every morning and walk in. I'd sit on my deck and watch it, and I was like, the deer are doing exactly the same thing. They'd hit his scent trail. And, you know, he would use whatever product. He's clean, take a shower. He's very hard on her. And they'd hit that Centrale, and they'd go right back to his truck and stand by his truck. And I was like, man, that is, you know, something. And uh, I was like, well, for one hunt mornings in November, what I started doing is having my girlfriend drop me off in the golf cart and then run back. And that worked so well. That was the best solution I'd ever seen. I mean, because I, I started seeing deer in the mornings in November when I started hunting. And uh, I even took it one farther. I was having her come pick me up in my stand. And uh, it, it worked so well. I was like, you know, everybody doesn't realize how important walking in is. Yeah. And uh, I'm just waiting for uh, Uber or somebody to do a, a drop-off for deer hunters. 
or an autonomous golf cart would work. Well, yeah, but, I'm thinking uh, that, or even even one of those electric bikes. You know, I, I don't, yeah, I don't really want to drop that kind of money on a bike, but at the same time, it's like if that could solve all my access issues or trail issues. It'd be worth yes, it. the bike is a great issue. I actually, it's kind of funny. One of my first, I built my own deer blind or beer, deer. Uh, I called a uh, platform. I actually, I never really hunted off of it, but I used it for, you know, visual of my deer and see what they're doing, where they're at in the summer. And I put a golf cart parking place in it so I could pull into one side of it and they could never see it. And that's my, if I ever get a 360 blind, I'm going to build me a place where I can walk, park my golf cart. Um, I have a lot of people come youth hunt. And friends hunt my place. You know, I, I rarely shoot a doe. Actually, I've never personally shot a doe other than a mercy kill. I had one that uh, had three, two of the legs shot off, and I tagged it. Yeah. But um, I'll have kids come. A lot of kids shot their first year in my place. That's great. And um, uh, they, they're really surprised at what you can do with deer. Um I've got one place where you literally are parked 20 yards from your deer blind with a golf cart. It's a kind of a big dip. And they said, well, won't they see the golf cart? And I said, what's the matter? I said, when they get past you and they see it, guess what they're going to do? They're coming right back towards you. So if you didn't get your shot, you get a second chance. And they all say, man, that deer did exactly what you thought or what you said. I was like, yeah, you know, I've lived here for 20 years, and um, I don't kill a lot of deer. I've killed one deer in 1979. My very first buck was a year-old deer, and that's the only one-year-old buck I've ever killed. I've never killed a buck buck. Wow. Ever. Um, I And I would say every deer I've ever killed has been three and a half or older. Okay. So it sounds like you like growing the deer and growing the habitat and the trees and everything else as much as you like hunting, which is, seems to be a lot of our, you know, yeah, yes, an audience. This year, I saw the most amazing thing, and every year my place gets better and better and better because they get more age structure. And this year, I had four deer that I know were all four and a half or older. Wow! And they were in one little field little bean, um, you know, bean plot I have. And it's kind of funny. They were all kind of different corners of it. And this one I called, he's a double white patch. And he's a he's big body beer, deer and decent rack. He'll be really something next year, I think. And he comes onto the field, you know, he's posturing. And, and all the other deer are kind of, uh, yep, you know, he's the man. And, uh, all of a sudden, the whole field changes, and it's a bigger nine-point that's got about a 300-pound body. Holy cow. Comes in, and he starts posturing, and just immediately, the double white patch puts his hair down, and he's actually coming right over towards where my blind is. I got this young, really young 10-point in front of me, and he's leaving the field because he doesn't want to have anything to do with that big nine. And that double white patch comes over and starts bullying on the, the tin, the little young tin. And I was like, this is just like high school. 
<laughs> it's you know, so a senior hits you in the face with the dodgeball, then guess what? I'm a junior. I'm gonna go pick on a freshman. That is exactly how deer work. Wow. And to get to see that every day in my backyard was incredible. It is incredible. And guys that never get to see it, they're missing out on everything about a deer. And you can learn more about deer by sitting in a truck or watching them than you ever can from a deer stand and shoot them. So, yeah. But. Now, that sounds like you have a pretty awesome place. Um, and, and you do a lot of, you know, like you said, your homemade plants where you made. Uh, we were talking before, you said you do a lot of row crop. Um, and, and I've seen your your food plots. You have row crop corn, then you have beans, and you have gr- the greens in between them. I mean, it looks like like a like very professional food plot, the way, it, you know, the way it's all structured with the rows and whatnot. What, what's your thought behind that versus just going out and throwing a bunch of brassicas, you know, on a half-acre plot like most people do? So... I've planted beans before by broadcasting, and one of the problems you have with broadcast beans is when you get a heavy snow, they're laying flat. Interesting. And uh, if you broadcast them, you know, a little heavy, or or they just don't tend to stand up as good to the weather, and that's why I went to row crop, you know. But like I said, I was pretty much raised on a farm. I worked on a farm mm-hmm. through school, after school, and... You know, it's it's kind of funny. You go through farming has a lot of marketing to it, and they trade and do different practices all the time. Like rarely, and anywhere from uh, my home county, rarely do you see a no-till. Very rarely anymore. But they go through cycles, and uh, you know, I just pick something. I was, I was like, I can work on the planter. I can plant everything with it. I can, uh, I'll do daikon radishes like wow. July with it, and the deer love them because you know you're you're planting something that's green in July. Um, I've done sweet corn, sunflowers. Sunflowers are a great plant. Um, they're a great first crop because they they uh, they have a good root system that breaks up the soil. Um, then you can follow them with brassicas if you want. Deer love them. They, they, they're, they're just like a bean when they first come up. They love the, that fresh plant. Um, sweet corn is one of my favorites. So I do a lot of sweet corn, and uh, I rarely get a near sweet corn, but sweet corn I found they eat the whole plant. Wow. They eat the whole plant, stock and all. And uh, Really? Yeah, and then I can go over top of that without doing anything with either brassicas or um, alfalfa. I've done alfalfa straight over uh, sweet corn. Don't have to do anything. Uh, I can keep it clean because I I was buying the uh, expensive corn, the uh, Roundup Ready and Liberty Ready sweet corn. Um, It's kind of changed now since... You can get the enlist beans, um, so you can use two four D. I could do more. I, I could put my sweet corn right beside my beans, which I could never do before. Um, the oats are one of my main crop. Okay. I do oats every August. I will never not do oats. 
Um, and actually, it was kind of funny. This first deer season, I was watching all these bucks in my little bean field that has Nebraska's and everything, and they were all going to these this one row, and it was a row where I'd done oats in between the beans, and they just love them. Uh, I think it's one of the best crops you can do. It's cheapest. It's easiest. Um, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I plant oats every yeah. fall. There's no, not a question. My very first trail camera picture, the very first one, it was kind of funny, it was the 35-millimeter camera. So we're talking way back. <laughs> and you had to go develop the film. And it actually is a picture of the Boone and Crockett I ended up shooting three years later. Wow. And it was at an oat bale. So I used to have part of my farm farmed, and the guy did oats and then was going to follow up with uh, alfalfa, or alfalfa was a host crop. And uh, so he put all the bales of oats along a fence row. And I just happened, I was like, well, the deer always seem to be coming through here. So I put a camera on the oat bale. And my very first picture was a Big Ten that I ended up shooting, I think, three years, two or three years later. Wow. But uh, I was like, man, they're eating bales and all. So if you do the oats right, you can bale them and set the bales wherever. They'll eat everything. I mean, Illinois is a non-feed state, but it's a, it, I asked the game warden, he goes, it's a farm practice. It's, you can't do anything, you know, you're not really doing anything wrong. Um, I've never had them since, but I think there were 13 round bales back there in that field, and they ate every single bit of it. There was no nothing way. left. Wow. I, I actually had a picture of a fawn on top of one of the bales. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's crazy. But uh, <laughs> So oats has always been one of my main things. Uh, okay. So. How many rows is this planter of yours? So it's three uh, 15-inch rows. Okay. So it's, it, it actually works out really good because everybody thinks, oh, that's 45 inches. No, it's 30 inches. It's with the center row. Yeah. So I can shut off the center row and do 30-inch rows if I wanted to as two row. I, You know, it's standard tractor width. Uh, my row crop cultivator, I had a standard one, and I've kind of modified all that now. But, um I took my golf cart, and it's it's a extreme golf cart, I guess. It's a eat. Um, I can't think of the name of it. It was it's one that's been lifted and everything. Sure. And that was my spray cart. So I was hitting my bean rows with it with the tires because they're not right. So I put wheel spacers on so I can stagger. Wow. And spray my beans at any time. Um. Actually, my golf cart's probably the most important piece of equipment I've ever owned. <laughs> I mean, I could get anything stuck, but I've never got my golf cart stuck that bad. So, well, it's just nice how all your stuff works in in unison with each other. You know, you got the you got everything spaced out correctly. You have the golf cart that fits in the rows to spray. You know, yeah. how, how do you broadcast uh, your baskets and whatnot in between all the rows once they're growing and whatnot afterwards? So uh, I had a friend text me one day, Corey Willard. He texted me and says, hey, there's a easy or a uh, snow 
can't think of the name of it. Snow X. Snow X spreader in uh, Facebook Marketplace for sale. It's only 100 bucks. I was like, oh, man, that is perfect because they're designed for salt, and I could use it for lime. I could use a fertilizer. And so I went to get it or talk to the guy and see it. It was brand new. Wow. Brand new. Never been used. And I got it for 100 bucks. And I've used it ever since. I've, you know, I've thrown so many away that didn't work well. That uh, this is just—it's the best spreader I've ever had. It's got cable where you can open the the gate, you know, from the seat. Um, it it's got variable speed, which I I put a rheostat of my own on it, so I can slow it down. But I built a. Uh, um, right angle bracket for it. So with my golf cart, I can drive over the beans and the spreader goes at a right angle to the beans and I slow it down. So all my seed is going right in the wheel track and uh, it works really well. I mean, you can't let your beans get too tall, but sure. But, and I do my be do my brassicas before they turn yellow because I had that row space which is about 42 inches, I think, is what about I leave. Okay. Um, it's The amazing thing about it is you never have a failed crop of brassicas because your beans are canopied, and they're holding in that ground moisture. So even though you're in the open row that gets all that sun, you still draw moisture from those rows, the canopy. Wow. Um, it's always worked. It's always been my best brassicas. I've planted brassicas in open fields where they don't work, either too dry or you get moisture and then it gets hot and dry. Um, I do vary my dates. So this year I did three different dates of brassicas. You know, uh, the old thing used to be for turnips was 25th of July, wet or dry. That was the old, my grandma's old saying. And that was for the big turnips, which I've never really went for the big turnips. Um, I actually got a video this past weekend of there's a couple bucks eating the smaller turnips. They love them. They will swallow them whole. They don't have to work at them. You know, it's if you get golf ball size, um, they clean them up. I, now, I do have big turnips for late season, but uh, the ones I use for food pots close to where I hunt are always going to be the golf ball size. That's what I go for. That's a good tip. That's a really good tip. Yeah. And and when you're dropping them in your rows like that, are your tires cultivating them in for you? Yeah. So I hit it with my uh, that modified groundhog I've got, and that freshens up the soil. And that really does really two things because I've done it before without freshening that row up. And since you've hard packed it, say from spraying and uh, planting. It hasn't been worked after you do that. That row is hard. You get a big rain, all the seed will wash into the actual row of the bean. It washes away from, so if you lightly disc it, the seed has to go in the ground. You, then you get that rain. It's perfect. Awesome. So you get soil contact. Um, it, it makes it seed stay put. So, and then going over it 
you know, as I'm seating it, yeah, my golf cart tra- tires are going to kind of tighten the soil a little bit. Okay. So, but always worked, never have failed. We're going to have to get some, some pictures of this bad boy uh, yeah. along with the podcast here because I'm sure people are trying to put this together in their head going, like, this sounds really interesting. And I uh, get a lot of guys that they're like, what the heck is that guy doing? <laughs> He's crazy. Yeah, but then you look at your pictures that I see on Facebook, you know, your friend of mine on there, and I'm like, dang, that looks cool. And Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it so nice. My dad was a mechanical engineer, and he actually worked for a farm company uh, that designed and built implements. Like, uh, their big one is, my dad was a big conservation soil guy Okay, back when it wasn't cool. So he, he was one of the engineers on the, uh, it's called Glencoe Soil Saver. The word is still used today, so that was back in the early 60s. And I used to travel with him a lot and go to farm shows and stuff, so I got to see everything. And, you know, always been around tractors. and Yeah. And, and he could build it. My dad could build anything. And actually, uh, he's the one that told me, you know, he was still alive back then. He goes, you know, you ought to build your own planner. Build what you want. And... uh I bought the bought my farm. Didn't have any money. Actually, didn't have a house. I sold the house to buy deer ground. Didn't have a house to live in. And he started making a. My there was a barn there. He started making it into a house for me. He's like, well, you know, I'm going to give you a place to help you. We can stay on the weekends. I was living in Bloomington at the time, and and then it just kind of went from a barn to a house. And then uh, he he actually comes home one day. I had a my tractor was an old junk Ford eight in. Every time I wanted to use it, it always broke down. And uh, he comes down one day and he's got a Ford four thousand for me. He bought and uh, it was a good tractor and ran everything, but I rolled it. So it had a narrow front end. So I had it a couple of years. I rolled it and I was like, you know. I'm going to kill myself on this thing and bought a John Deere 4020. And I don't think I'll have any other tractor for food plots other than that. Okay. It's been, it's an old gasser. Everybody says, oh, they're junk. And all you have to do is clean the gas out every year and they run. A lot of fun, a lot of power. So good, good to hear. I'm, I'm going to be in the market here soon for, for something. Um, the ATV works great on the 15 acres and whatnot, but you know, new 70 acre parcel, we're gonna be putting in, you know, six, seven, eight acres of food, and you need something a little more, maybe. So we'll see. I might be, you know, bugging you with some questions about it. So yeah, so I actually, I paid 20 years ago. I paid like 2,500 dollars for this tractor, and still running. Wow. Just outside. Like I said, I drain the gas every year, and that's all I have to do to it. It starts at batteries every couple of years, and uh, you can still get parts for them. Cool, but great well, tractor. I want to I want to move next into your habitat trees or your trees for wildlife. This is where I see a lot of your pictures. Um, yeah, and you're like. Uh, got like a greenhouse going on at your house and and you're always collecting and foraging for seeds and acorns and nuts you you end up sending me 
I don't know how how heavy that that bucket weighed. I didn't look at the UPS label. It was heavy. Twenty nine pounds. Holy cow! Twenty nine pounds worth of uh, English oak acorns. I'm a, those are awesome. Um, I know that because I was sitting at a Five Guys burger and fries here over the summer, and those trees were only twelve foot tall, maybe. Yeah. Maybe fifteen, and they were loaded. Yep. And I got out and took a picture with my app. It's like English oak. I'm like, oh boy, that's that's what I need. Um, yeah. So tell me about how you got into, you know, collecting and, and growing and propagating so everything you do. How it started was when I bought my farm, I'd signed up for a USDA program to get trees, free mm. trees. Well, it's like a two-year process. Oh. So they finally come in, and it was supposed to be a mix of hardwoods. It was supposed to be some hickory, some swamp oak, some... Um, Red oak. It was a big mix, a forestry mix, basically. So they call me. I go to pick them up, and it was 600 trees. Well, I go to pick them up, and somebody had taken my trees and left 600 redbud for me. So I was like, I'm not planting 600 redbud. And it's kind of funny. I used to partake in the uh, USDA farm program. And I got written up for it because I wouldn't plant them. I was like, well, they're not the trees I want. And I was like, okay, just withdraw me from the program. I'll pay back the money and be done with it. And what is the I red blood even good for? What, what, what do people plant those for? They look good. Right. They're a good-looking tree. It's just, But they're an understory tree. And I was like, right. they don't have any food value. They don't have any, you know. I just, okay. I was just so disappointed with the USDA and and dealing with bureaucracy that I said, you know what, I'm going to start doing my own trees. And I had a friend that I helped plant chestnuts, and so I took a bunch of chestnuts and started raising them in my kitchen. They're very easy to do. They're probably the easiest tree I've ever sprouted. Um, they're not that easy to raise depending on your ground. If you don't have well-drained uh, well soil, you'll lose some. And then um, I lost like 150, but I thought it was because of really wet spring, but thinking back now, it was dicamba. I had a neighbor that caddy cornered from me that had lost like 40 acres of beans to dicamba spill, uh, spray, drift, carryover. I've heard of that. And thinking about that, I think that's exactly what killed them. And uh, so I kind of got away from chestnuts but just because they don't match my ground that much. And uh, found these English by – I was coming into work at 4 in the morning, and right by the interstate there's a couple retention ponds, and uh, there's a couple of these English oak that got planted in there. And they were very old. And every day there was like 14 deer oh. standing at this English oak. And they were actually out in the middle of the street picking up acorns. And I was like, man, that's something special about those because there's burr oaks and other oaks around there they weren't doing it for. And stopped and picked some up and uh, sprouted them and grew them. The first year I just did a few. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, this tree grows like four and a half foot in a year. It's an oak. And uh, so I started growing more and more of them, and I've got 
trees in Kentucky, Indiana, Iowa, um, places like that. And all the guys were like, oh, my gosh, we'll take all you got, whatever you raise. So I ended up raising more and giving away <laughs> more than I planted myself because I am a prim- primarily um, row crop guy. Okay. But I've got some places I can enhance. And, you know, I, I everybody talks about the October low. I never experienced it in my place because I never really ever had lots of acorns anyways. My deer just kind of tended to stay. And uh, so I was like, well, you know, I'm going to plant some on these edges and they hold their leaves till December. They actually, I drove by the tree yesterday. It's still got green leaves on it. And I was like, you know what? That's what I really like. So I'm using them kind of as a pre-screen. I got a bedding area. I've got switchgrass there now, but I've also got these trees behind the switchgrass that late season, they always bed in this front field and you can't walk in without them seeing it. So I put this, it's about a six foot strip of, switchgrass along it and then my row crop and then I've got for screening where I walk in and I've got Egyptian wheat which will be giant miscanthus this year Okay, uh, but I've got that so they can't and I can walk in I can get my stand literally take my binoculars out and I can see deer bedded where you know I, so I'm not bothering them nice. as long as you get the right wind um but the trees produce so much. So the what I gave you was just one of 80 gallons that I picked off one tree. <laughs> and it is not a huge tree. How old is that so, tree, would you say? The one that you got them from? Probably 20 years at the most. Okay. At the most. I remember when they planted it because uh, there wasn't a hotel there then or anything. But the city... City of Champaign-Urbana actually does a real good job. They actually have records of all the trees they planted. Wow! So you can you can go on their on Champaign's website at least, and uh, if you want to find an English oak, you look on their website. Um, I got a friend Brian that turned me on to some new ones this year that are late dropping English. So I've got maybe a couple hundred of those I started. Um, and you can tell they're a little bit different tree. I don't think they're going to grow, grow as fast. Okay. But the acorn looks the same. But uh, so the English, I, the standard, I call them standard English, I do. They start dropping right the 1st of October through the last week. And then these late droppers start about mid-October through November. And they produce really heavy. Dang. So I kind of figure I'm going to have a one-two step at it. And then uh, I've done some others. I do some hazelnuts and other stuff. Hazelnuts are tough if you don't cage them. Uh, the deer just annihilate them. Now, that, that second one that your buddy just turned you on to, is that is that still in English or is that like a hybrid? Yeah, so it's in English. It's just a different variety of English. There's okay. several varieties. So you have – this year I'm also doing columns which is they look like those upright populars. They're a, a smaller tree and more upright, and they look like a hybrid popular, and they okay. hold their leaves like too. And the acorn is a little bit different, but still an English. Okay. Um, 
It's a little bit smaller egg corn. Still a good, clean egg corn. And then this year, I also let uh, Brian turn me on to another one that's a columnar, but it's a uh, swamp, English swamp mix. So I'll have a few of those this year and see how they do. I mean, I'm always trying stuff. I've, I've tried about every kind of tree. I've grown apples, uh, pears this year. And I'm, I'm real reluctant about the pears because of the Bradford pear situation and the pollen. And yeah. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm leery of those now, so I'm probably going to hold off or plant them somewhere where I can really control them. Just, you know, being safe. Yeah. Uh, Champaign-Urbana is just loaded with those invasive pears now. Yeah. Every lot that's not mowed. I was like, they only have trees on them, and they're, you know, farm ground is showing up with those invasive pears. I was like, ah. so Yeah, they're everywhere. Down through Ohio, too. I remember going to visit a client down there, Mike, and um, the whole ditch, every ditch was lined with them, you know. Um, yeah. But, it, yeah, I, there's they're terrible. I, I know the the we work a lot with Morris Nursery up here in Michigan and in yep. Indiana. They have a burr, a hybrid. It's a burr cross with the English. Um, yep. What are your thoughts on that one? So that's should be the bag that's in your plastic or in your gotcha. the hybrid burr. That could be some of those hybrids, yeah. Yep. Okay. They're huge acorn. Yeah. They're huge. Well, I think I might have some on my property already, my 15 acres. I don't think it's a hybrid. It could be. I don't know what was planted there that long ago, but I know it's a burr, and those things are gigantic. Yeah. So the the hybrid will have less of a sheath on the acorn. The cap okay. will be smaller, a little bit different. It won't cover almost the whole nut. And it'll, just, okay. Got yeah. it. Then mine are not hybrid on my property because the, the cap is very large. They're okay. Probably a standard, yeah. Which is, they're a great tree. Yeah, I do love them. Um, yeah. But I like, I like this. And, and with these acorns that I have now, you recommended planting half now, half in the spring. Yeah, um, just to ensure your, yeah, hedge your bets, I guess. Diversify your risk, hedge your bets, of course. Um, problem is, where that new property is up north, they've already got like a foot of snow. They might be getting another eight inches tonight. Um Next time I go up there, I'm hopefully there's enough room for me to get in there with a squirrel or something and plant if I can. Otherwise, I might have to just do them all in the spring. I don't know. There's a bunch of snow up there. Yeah. Yeah, and that hard freeze is what I'm fear, I fear the most with most of those acorns. I mean, because you think about acorns, how many really survive in the wild? Very few. And it's because of hard freeze. Gotcha. They're in the wrong place. Gotcha. Now, your where is your greenhouse? I, it looks like it's inside your house, right? It's my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I no longer have a kitchen, so I have I think fourteen hundred trees in my kitchen. Do you really? Yeah. Nice. And I'm starting more. I've got uh, I'm starting some plum, wild plum, or American plum, and then uh, a couple others. I've pear and. Uh, something else oh crab apple oh okay yeah so. so how tall do these get over winter so this is the earliest i've ever started them 
I started them, I think, mid-October, late October, and they're at 28 inches right now. Wow. So Holy they God. will be, they'll probably be close to uh, four foot when I plant, put them in the spring. Are you going to cage or tube every one of them, or do you just go for quantity and... If I can find the tubes, tubes okay. are hard to find right now. Um, I couldn't find any last year, but I had some used ones I reused. Okay. Um, they definitely will be tubed. They do really well on a tube. Um, uh, the one pointer I could say is never use bamboo steak, ever. Done that. Yeah. So... Sure. They're good for a year or six months, and then they're junk. Um, so that's probably one big pointer on that. Five foot is the tube I use. I'm doing persimmon this year in shorter tubes just so I can, um, you know, I'm doing a three-foot tube, and I can reach over and water them if they have to. Gotcha. Persimmon are probably my nemesis. I never can get them. They grow very well. They just, uh, they're touchy. They're touchy growing them inside the house. Um, they don't like too much light. Um, they don't like too much water. Um, the English, I literally have three inches of water in my containers. So I don't have to do anything with the English. <laughs> the easiest tree I've ever had. Wow. And you're yeah. starting those in um, those cone shapes. Are those called? What are those yeah. containers called? Containers or what are those called? Yeah, yeah it's a container uh, for mega house, mega greenhouse, uh, greenhouse mega store okay. in Danville, Illinois. So it's actually close to me. Nice. And uh, it's you know forty minute drive from where I can go pick them up, and I've got to know a couple of the guys in there, and they show me new products and stuff, and they think uh, I'm crazy growing trees in them because they're made for vegetables. Okay. That it works. And uh, so, actually, I gave those guys a couple of acorns, and they got them growing in their, uh, inside their office this year. So, um, no, Yeah, they, they work for trees. My my friend Dale, he gave me some chestnuts um, a while back and gave me some of those containers as well. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I saw you doing you have You have a lot more than I do. But, um, so, yeah, I've they, got a friend in Iowa I gave 600 chestnuts to. Wow. That I would think they, they're producing them now because that was quite a few years ago, and they were in the container. So how many times can you put 600 trees in a truck and drive them to Iowa? That was my big thing is, you know, I could have put all these trees. They don't get wind burn because they're inside the truck. They are so easy to transplant. So I've got a dibble that matches the cone. Okay. And you can plant a tree in two, 30 seconds. So and, you um, dibble in, you open it up, you grab dibble, the tree by the yeah. base or what? Yeah, grab the tree. Uh, I roll them. Okay. So I'll roll the plastic to get it loose. And that's uh, one of my other – everybody gives me a hard time about it. I put uh, antibacterial soap in with my peat when I mix it with water. And when you – Realize when you go to pull the trees out, what it's doing, it slicks it. It no makes way. the soil a little bit slicker, so pull, they pull the trees pull out easier. Look at that tip. Wow. 
So, um, but the dibble, and then this year, what I want to do is my goal is to buy a water wheel, which a water wheel is for playing vegetables. But I was thinking doing two things with the giant miscanthus with a water wheel, put three rows of water wheels, which a water wheel, what it does is it punches a hole in plastic. So you have your till your ground, you lay your plastic down, and then you drive over it with this water wheel, and it punctures holes. Gotcha. Precisely where you want them in the plastic. And I thought, you know, I wonder why nobody's done that with giant miscanthus. Because that would be so much easier than a tree, you know, a tree planter. And with me, my thing, hard thing for me to do is find help, somebody to ride the tractor. So with a water wheel, you're puncturing the holes, then you can walk behind and put your miscanthus in there or your trees. Now, obviously, the trees would would be 18 inches apart or anything like that. It would be one row. But um, I actually am buying a new farm right now. I'm in the process of it, and it has no trees. Okay. So I'm probably going to buy me a water wheel, and I'll probably get to do it this year. Interesting. I'm probably going to have a pillar. I just looked that up. Um, I see what you're talking about, and and explain your your miscanthus um, planting with the water wheel again. You lay plastic down for what weed competition? Off the yes, to get rid of the weeds. But also, you know, you think about how why they do it with vegetables. It's to extend the growing season and heat the soil up quicker. Oh, okay. So if you did that with miscanthus, you know, I see guys that yeah, I've got friends that plant. They're getting four. Five foot of it, I'm thinking maybe six foot the first year instead. And then no weed competition. With the water wheel, you can put an irrigation line down underneath the plastic. Um, I've thought about it for years because I was doing, I started doing plugs of switchgrass. Yeah. And I actually, it works out really well for those. I had an area that was a, used to be a, a pond that I broke the dam off, off out of it to get rid of it because I was afraid of EHD. I did find one deer in there one year, the first year, and then I broke the dam. I was like, it was a mud hole. You couldn't get into it um, to clean it out. It was, you know, full sludge from years of uh, field wash. So I broke the dam out, and I've been going down there uh, with these plugs. And actually, I'm really impressed how well they work. Uh, but, you know, it's like a switchgrass. The first year, it's not doing plant, it's doing root. So a lot of my plugs, I actually have them out in front of my uh, uh, house outside. And all the first year switchgrass and pl- in the cones was getting six, seven foot tall. So Wow. So, yeah, explain why, why you're doing that one more, like from the beginning with the switchgrass. Because I had a note here on that as well. Again, I'm seeing you grow switchgrass and plugs in containers. I'm like, what is this guy up to? I love it. Wet areas that you can't get a tractor into. Okay. So I'll go down there with my cones, and, you know, I don't have to work the ground. I can spray the the grass or whatever's there and just punch a, punch a uh, cone in the ground. And uh, I've also that the screen – I talked about there's like a pre-screen of a bedding area. 
that's how I did most of it was plugs. And there was a really wet area that I didn't want to till up. And I was like, you know, it already had some switchgrass in there, so I just kind of fortified it with these plugs. And uh, I was amazed. I was like, you know, but you think about it, you're getting a head start on the root is what you're doing. So you're just putting that root in the ground and uh, takes off. So yeah, and and when so let's go from the beginning on on that the container you got some what you got peat moss that you're planting the switchgrass in the peat moss mixture as well. Yeah, so I used peat and with the switch I did a 50-50 peat and uh, potting soil. Okay. Just because I hadn't done it before and I was like, well, I know it needs nitrogen, so I did like 50-50. Okay. And then uh, it's the same way I do my English. I put water in the in the uh, tray the tray that holds everything, so I never really have to water them. It's getting watered from behind uh, below. Draws up from the bottom. Yep. Yeah, it draws up. And uh, I, you know, one of my tips is that you know everybody complains about seed. Oh, my seed didn't grow or whatever. Every time I've ever planted a seed, I don't care whose it is, I've brought home a pocket full. And I put them in these cones. And I, like switchgrass, I'm amazed how quickly it really does sprout. You can get sprout in like four days. Wow. Yeah, it, it, if you have the right moisture, if you have the right thing. I think a lot of guys either plant it too deep or overwork the ground. Overworking the ground dries up that top layer. So True. I've got my own unique way of doing switchgrass. I disc my ground, get it clean the year before. Um, I don't do anything with that ground until, like, the soil temperature is around 60, and it's already worked. It'll have grass coming up, spray it, broadcast over top of it with my switchgrass, and then, of all things, I hit it with an old rotary hoe, then mix it at top. And it kind of it's kind of like an insurance policy there too. So you're getting seed at the top level, middle level, and bottom level of the top, say, inch of soil. So that top, if it sprouts, you get moisture, and all of a sudden you get dry wind or dry, it burns. But you got that next level of seed down below it that will grow. So if you have moisture, you're always going to have a good crop. I've done that quite a few times, and it, it's always worked. Um, you got to check you're your literally planting. You're planting it um, in what June, probably July, mid May, mid May. Okay, yeah. and then and that's you're throwing the seed down right then. You're not frost seeding in the winter time. You're not doing any of that. No. You know, frost seeding. I mean, if you got the right area, it's great and it sure. works. I've had. Or if you don't have well. time. Yeah. If you don't have time, it, this farm is right at my house. So I'm literally right there. I can I pick the day I'm going to plant it. You know I don't I wait for the right day. That's that's a key for me is don't do it you know before a huge rain because you're going to lose seed that way. Um, but it was my way of insurance policy with the rotary hose. Like okay, I'm putting it at three different levels. Awesome. Um, usually works out pretty good. Um, then I'll I'll either. I had a uh, zero turn. If weeds start hit, showing up, I'll top the weeds. Yep. Or um, 
2,4-D. If you can't, if you don't want to do a spray, there's if you find uh, uh, what is it? Wheat? Uh, oh, it's fertilizer and weed 2,4-D. Use it on your lawn. Yeah. Eggs of that, you can do that because it's you know it's 2,4-D that they're giving you. So if you don't have a sprayer, you can spread dry fertilizer from Pharmafleet or wherever. Yeah, what's that called? Like I think it's called like weed and feed or something, right? Weed and feed. Weed and yeah. feed, yeah. Yeah. So I've done that. I've done that on my switchgrass, you know, along my borders, where I don't want to spray 2,4-D because I have beans right beside them. Sure. And uh, it's always worked. I was like, you know, it's a little bit of fertilizer. It can be pricey, but you know what? You spend a million dollars on a piece of property, why not spend some money on yeah, some fertilizer or, you know. And the seed's not cheap. Yeah, seed's not cheap either, so. And if you're investing your time. Why wouldn't you invest money? Sure. Um, Time is money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, back quickly to your, your plugs. Your, are you starting those right now as well over the winter, um, like your trees? So I've got some two-year plugs in my house, and I'm okay. letting them do regrowth and filling in. And um, I haven't bought any switchgrass yet, but I've already heard it's in short supply, so I'm okay. going to be ordered very soon. Sure. Um, switchgrass key. Get buy seed that you know will germinate. Look at the bag, look at the tag. Um, the product I use, I think, is around 80% germ germination rate, so it's really high. Okay. Um, that's one of my keys. I've used state given and you know, uh, before zero success. Now that that kind of seed—that's what you want to frost seed. Okay. The seed that has not been stratified—that is perfect for switchgrass. You know, to sit there and it—it's it, 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 a hard seed, so the moisture has to get into that germ to germinate. So it's decaying the outside. Same as a, a persimmon. It's okay. just exactly the same as persimmon. So. Awesome. Uh, persimmon can sit in the refrigerator for two years and never germinate. And then the third year, you'll have 90% of them germinate. Wow. It's just the time they needed. So. Now, is there a certain type of switchgrass that you like over others? I mean, you talked about wet areas. Um, I know there's a certain switch that likes wet versus not. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Um, so mine is... A variety of cave rock, but it's, I don't know if it's specific to rural world, but that's a brand I've always used. It's okay, close, yeah. it's local. Um, never had it fail. Always had good luck with it. Um, and, you know, like I said, if I'm going to spend my time, I'm going to spend my money. And and like I said, every seed I've ever done, I pull, put some in my pocket. I take it, even my beans. I take beans home in my pocket. And germinate them. So there is no excuse. I will never blame a seed company because I know the facts. That I know they test them, the majority of them. You might catch some in a box store that's been on a shelf two years. Yep. But I, you know, if anything I'm going to plant, I'm going to pull home seed. Always. Good idea. And I don't have to get in that uncomfortable call with a seed vendor. 
I've never had to because I've never had any fail. I know if I have failed, it was my part Yeah, that failed either planted too deep or planted beans before big rain, and then you get a uh, crust on that neck breaks on the bean coming through, um, stuff like that. I was like, you know, I, didn't, I won't make an excuse. I will say, yeah, I failed, but I won't make an excuse. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. yeah. You're the second guy who I've heard test their seed inside when they get it, you know, and test it. And, uh, you know, the other one was a friend of mine named Todd, and he would – he's been on here, and he would uh, also see, you know, starve them or, or give them drought and see what yes. lasts, how they compare, what fails right away, what doesn't. You know, if your property's four hours away and yep. you don't get a rain, well, maybe you don't want to plant the one that's not very drought tolerant or whatever, right? Absolutely. So I do that with my trees and my – I've got low-light trees I've got going on right now, and I've done that with uh, beans, soybeans I've brought home and, you know, how – how uh, wet can they tolerate? How cold can they tolerate? And I can tell you with beans, you're better off waiting till the right day, not looking at the weather map, waiting till the right day to plant them instead of uh, planting them too early, too wet, too um, too dry. Uh, there is that right day. I like to shoot for And actually, this year I did some really different plots. Um, so my place, like I said, is kind of a wedge or pie, pie shape. My back beans always get hit first. So I do plant those first just to keep the deer back in the back. And then my front beans rarely get hit, so I can always get a good crop. But the deer have always had this tendency is they work the back beans first. When they're gone, then they work their way to the front. And it allows for the best hunting in the world because they're coming through you to get to those beans. And uh, this year, I've I've tried no-till last year, and I hated it. It didn't work for me. I had weeds. I had failed. I didn't get a good stand. So this year, I went in early, just all my ground, or most of my ground, early, and then spread oats over the whole thing. And... Uh, it helped me do weed control because I went over it with 2,4-D. So I got that, got rid of the uh, mare's tail yep. and the, the biennial plants and got rid of my uh, uh, water hemp that everybody has now. So I'm starting off in clean oats, and they were probably three or four inches tall and basically no-tilled into them, even though it's not no-tilled because it's been tilled that year. So it's kind of a modified no-till, and um, it's the best beans I've ever had. You're and planting into the oats without flipping yeah. the soil again. You're just planting yep. it. I get it. Planting right into the oats. So the soil's been worked early. Yep. As early as you can do it, disc it, get it ready, go over it with oats, and then you can keep it sprayed to keep the weeds out, 2,4-D or whatever. And then I, I planted uh, the it's real worlds and list beans that were, I think, a pilot this year. Yeah. And I hope they make them permanent because I really like that because now I can spray right beside my switchgrass, my beans. I can spray beside my corn uh, with 240 or uh, in list 
one. Um, so uh, your best bean field, huh? Yeah, it was the best bean field I've ever had. And then I actually it keeps the deer off of it too because the oats they're eating the oats. I sit there and watched it for a long time. I was like, they're not picking the beans out. So you know, you're by the time the beans come up. Those are probably six or eight inches tall. You can't see the bean. And those deer are just coming in there and eating those. I was like, man, this is going to be perfect. And then I thought, well, you know why I spray and kill the oats? These beans are just setting ducks. Yeah. And they weren't. They didn't attack them like I thought. I actually raised beans in a field I'd never been able to raise beans before. Closest to the timber and closest where they come out of the timber. Hmm. And, you know, direct path of the deer. And I was like, you know, I don't know what to expect. So I planted a lot of extra beans this year. And uh, they hardly nicked them. Cool. But I also had oats. I've got oats right as they come out of the timber. Just a real small plot. And then a uh, small plot of uh, clover. Okay. So yeah, I, was, I was amazed. I was like, man, I've never been able to raise beans in that field. And first year success, and you know, then I went over and uh, terminated the oats, and uh, ready to do my brassicas in you know August September. So it was the best best beans I've ever had by nice. far. Yeah, I know. I know you know what you're doing with the planting. I can already tell that. But you know, Don and Don and West, they make some good products over there too. So it's um. It's good to hear. Good to hear that. You're successful. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I, um, oh, uh, Dwayne Hopkins, I've worked with his wife for 27 years. And I didn't even know it. One day I was like, oh, I think I know your husband. She goes, yeah, he works at uh, Kitchen Seed there in Arthur. I was like, yeah, I know him. I've known him for a long time. And so it's actually kind of nice to support, you know, some good people, good Christian guys. Awesome. Uh, his wife is a nurse, so I've known her forever. Um, great people. You know, I, I can go there and get free lunch, I think, almost any day. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, there's a couple other guys in Arthur. You know, it's like 40 minutes away from me, and they see my orange truck, and they'll come in and buy my breakfast at the restaurant or something. They won't even say anything, and they'll I'll ask for my bill. Oh, some guy paid your bill already. Oh, awesome. Stuff like that. I was like, yeah, it's small towns. Yeah. So. Any more of that in my life, that's pretty great. Um, Kevin, I, I've already had you for an hour here. I have I have cool. one more question for you. Um, yep. You know, you being a, a tree guy, I have to know. I have to know your favorite tree out of all of them. You had to pick one. And some guys um, have said favorite for hunting, favorite for habitat, or, or whatever. So I guess you could do two if you have to. But. I'm going to do two. <laughs> All right. American plum, because it's so rare. Okay. And I I used to know where a couple plum thickets are. And I think they've all succumbed to dicamba. Mm. So they're getting really rare around there. Um, you know, I got one friend that has a crisp. I'm friends with yeah. him, Fiori. He yeah. actually has a farm that has one, and very small and thicket of them, and you cannot walk through them. Wow. I was like, they're just incredible. And so I'm starting some of those. 
Um, I'd like to collect a lot more of those seeds. They're they're a little funny. They grow. They don't like it too wet. Um, you don't like too much sun. But I've got some started. That was that, for a thicket. I think that's my ideal tree. Would be a American plum. Um, the English is going to be my favorite food source. Okay. And actually, I'm planning on. I got a friend here and friend that turned me on to those other trees. Brian Paul is his name. I'm Facebook friends with him. He's actually a real good tree guy. Uh, his parents owned a uh, nursery, so he knows what he's talking about. Okay. And we're going to kind of start raising some of these English two, three years instead of just getting them in the ground. And uh, hopefully some American plum with them too. And uh, I like hanging out with tree guys. Yeah. He's smart. <laughs> he's yeah. a good deer hunter too. He's got a lot of big deer, so. But he knows the area, and uh, he's already got a greenhouse, so. And I like the guy, so it, it's kind of funny. He sees me, and every time I'm picking up acorns, he honks. So he knows where all my trees are. <laughs> he honks or stops and talks to me, so. That's um, awesome. But they were just incredible. When you look at that nut, that acorn, and you just look at it, it's like, it's not meant to hit the ground and rot. It's meant to gra- hit the ground and stay there until a deer eats it. That's my feelings on it. And they love them. you got to fight the squirrels for them. Um, I don't know if turkey would eat them. I think they're a little bit big for a turkey, but they probably will. Yeah, they're big. They eat about everything. But, uh, and they hold their leaves till December. Wow. That's, that's one of my big selling points on them. It's awesome. And, and I think they're bulletproof. I don't think you could really – they tend not to be hurt by drought. They tend not to be hurt by too much water. Um, I got another friend in Iowa that uh, he planted a bunch last year or two years ago. I actually met him down to Arthur, and he's picking up a blind tree um, – deer blind or something in Arthur. I took him a couple totes of them and uh, – he actually posted – I think he's got the winner of the year. So he posted one he planned for acorn that was six and a half foot tall the first year. So, wow. But uh, – Wow. It's, it's one of the neat things about Facebook is I've got guys that answer my questions or can, you know, right at my fingertips. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my Facebook, my Facebook is pretty much nothing but deer and food plots and – and it's kind of funny, through uh, COVID, I traveled more than I ever had and got to go see these guys that face-to-face that I've known on Facebook for years. Awesome. Uh, I just kind of tend to pop up, and they're like, hey, uh, I know you. I was like, yeah, I know you. <laughs> so it was kind of neat to be in uh, the Iowa Classic, and... I had several guys come up to me, and I'm just short, fat guy with balding, <laughs> nondescript guy, and they come up, hey, you're that food plot guy, aren't you? And I said, yeah. Des Moines and uh, Bass Pro, I had a, I thought the guy was stalking me. He kept getting up beside me, and I was like, that's kind of creepy. And I turned around and I said, hey, how you doing? And he goes, 
are you that food plot guy from Central Illinois? I said, yeah. He goes, I thought you were. So started asking questions, and uh, that's kind of a fun part of it. Kind of creepy, kind of fun. Very awesome. Very awesome. Kevin, I I uh, want everybody to know how they can reach out to you if they want to learn more on this stuff, if you're comfortable with that. And, um, oh, yeah. And then, yeah, I just want to thank you for your time. That was awesome. Uh, yep. I can't wait to get, keep in touch with you on these English and uh, get them in the ground. I'm itching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's just Kevin Thayer. I'm on Facebook. I don't do – I don't have a YouTube channel. Uh, I just kind of – you know, Facebook has kind of kept it simple mm-hmm. other than Messenger because I get a lot of messages. Um, it's kept it simple where you can look at stuff and – I thought about a YouTube channel one of these days, but I was like, yeah, it's, I like doing the fun part of raising the trees. I don't like doing the, the, you know, other stuff. Content creation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you get so many opinions on everything, and I was like, yeah, okay. So I can scroll past it on Facebook. I don't <laughs> have to. Well said. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on today. I truly appreciate it, and, um, Good luck with your over-the-winter greenhouse, and uh, keep in touch, my friend. Yeah, I may just pop in one day up there. I yeah, actually went to yeah, Michigan this summer and popped in on a guy at a car race. Really? Yeah, so he's a he's a real-world dealer, and I saw he posted a car with a real-world decal on it. I just thought one day, you know what, I'm going to go to the race and see if I can't find this guy in the pits or something, and... Uh, Nicest guy in the world, tick, pit pass, and wow, um, gave me a free ticket to stands, and so most of the guys are pretty good. Yeah, if they plant food plots or plant trees, they're typically a good guy. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, you think about it. You're you're going through all that work to plant something that might not even benefit you in your lifetime, or I mean, the English probably will, but you know what I mean. Like if you're going through that much work yeah. to for a legacy moving forward, that says something about somebody. Yeah, um, I've got. I think I got a pretty good legacy of trees because I used to give some to a school district over by um, Petersburg, Illinois. Okay. The teacher was an incredible teacher. He got Ag Teacher of the Year. Oh wow! And uh, um, I can't think of his first last name. Oh, Davis is the last name. When he was, he moved to a different position as. In, within the school, so he's no longer an ag guy. But he got ag teacher of the year one year, and I think I've given him probably a couple hundred of these English. <laughs> and he's an outdoor nut, so he literally goes plants trees on his lunch hour from school. And uh, so he's got something that probably should be eight, ten foot by now. Wow! So I need to hook up with him or pop in. I used to pop into his farm and take pictures of his deer. And he's got a cabin there. I'd make sure to get the picture of the cabin in there. <laughs> and he he thought I was coming over to hunt his deer. And, <laughs> so I will mess with people too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every time, every, if you're ever up in, in the area, hit me up. Be happy to okay. show you my property yeah. and, and uh, get some in, insight out of you. So that'd be great. Uh, there is nothing go- better than going on somebody else's property and seeing it. I agree. I mean, Going up around Peoria with Chris, seeing some of those 
you know, multi-million dollar properties. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how I would hunt it. Overwhelming. And, uh, and then come back to my place, it's like, uh, my place is really nothing. Or, you know, <laughs> small. Yeah. But then they, you know, you get starting getting egg structure in your deer, then you're like, huh, it's got something. Hey. I don't think properties have to be huge to retain deer. Mm-mm. So, Try having 15 acres. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this new property I'm looking at is only 20. Gotcha. So, but it's surrounded by about 1,000 acres of uh, forest preserve. Mm. So it would be huge. one of those where I can get big deer coming in consistently, I think. You'll, so. You know how to draw them in with what you're planting. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, I, I, food is key. You know, it's one of those key things they have to have. And they're just like me or you. They're going to, you have a choice of working for your food or going through the drive-thru most of the time. Hey, I don't have time to deal with that. I'll go through the drive-thru. Mm-hmm. Same for deer. They're going to go to the, the best, closest available source. So. I love it. Well, thanks again, Kevin. Keep in touch, buddy, all right? Yeah. Okay, great. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com. We have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, Packer Max Cultipackers, Afflictor Broadheads, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.
search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta and Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 